I would say take inspired action. Like in the moment, I feel inspired that we should do that event. And you reconnected me with what we did about 10 years ago. And I could see what we achieved after that. So thank you for reminding me. So I feel inspired that that's the way to go. And that gives me a whole new direction. Are you looking for ways to shorten your marketing learning curve and help your organization survive and thrive? Welcome to Relish This, the Purpose Marketing Podcast, a show for purpose-focused leaders who want to use marketing techniques to fuel their organization's growth. If you're a returning listener and you haven't subscribed already, we'd love to have you. Also, please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Now here's your host, author and marketing specialist, Stu Swinefort. Hey everybody, Stu here. My guest today is an amazing woman named Sylvia Zafar, and she is on the board of a really cool organization in Pakistan that is bringing education to those who need it most. They have uh, eight schools that they've created over the last 30 years, and um, they are trying to raise about $12 million in the next three to five years to help improve infrastructure and um, bring about even more change than what they've already created there in the, in the region. Sylvia is, uh, she's on the board. She is uh, inquisitive and amazing. Um, She's following in her father's footsteps and uh, is, is really helping to facilitate some, some very positive change. We had some a great discussion just about how they can level up this opportunity to to get people to invest in in their their organization everything from partnerships to sponsorships to just build, building relationships and i think that there's a ton of great information and and things that that almost any nonprofit could take from this conversation as you're trying to figure out how to scale your uh, donations and um, ability to to build revenue for your organization. So I hope you have a really fun time listening to this show. It's uh, it's a really good one. And here we go. Good morning, Sylvia. How are things in Sydney? Good morning, Stu. Really well. It's a uh, nice. It's a rainy start to the day. It's a rainy start to the day. Yeah. Nice. Well, I'm really excited to have you on the show um, for a couple of reasons. One, you do a lot of coaching and I'm starting to do more coaching myself. And so it's always, it's always fun and fantastic to, to speak with someone who's done leadership coaching and, and things of that nature, but also to talk about your foundation that you have in, uh, or that you're on the board of in, in Pakistan, um, the Dalim Foundation. Um, so tell, tell us a little bit more about you and your background and, and how the Dalim Foundation got started. Uh, briefly about me, I work as a leadership and organizational change strategist. And I've worked with the United Nations, with the financial industry, and uh, many continents across the globe. So I'm basically from Pakistan. I spent quite a few years, about a decade in Switzerland, and now almost a decade in Australia. That's my background. And I'm a mother of two beautiful children, which is what inspires me to get up every day and be the best version of me. Coming back to Talim Foundation, Talim Foundation uh, has about eight schools in tribal regions of Pakistan, which was started about 34 years ago. First school was established in 1988. And we were the first providers of education in those remote regions. So I'm talking about regions bordering Afghanistan. So given the Afghanistan's um, situation, you can imagine how remote those areas must have been about three decades ago. And there was almost no education for girls at that time. There was no concept of uh, co-education. Um, and in Pakistan, English is the official language and Urdu is our national language. So in those parts of the country, English was not very common. So our, st- our schools were like we started teaching with a mix of English and Urdu. So it wasn't received really well in the beginning. But then like social change through education is what our experiment study has been. And in the three decades, we have seen uh, the socioeconomic and the cultural front of those little towns totally transform. And even the girls who did not go on to work, the kind of mothers that they become educated, informed, 
So that's a big achievement, I would say. That's where we are. And I'm looking for your advice and help on how can we, so our organization has really suffered during COVID times because our schools were closed for a whole year. And now that we're getting back on our feet, our self-sustaining model has been a little bit impacted as well. A lot of our infrastructure needs upgrading. Obviously, that needs fund. And so far, with the self-sustaining model that we have been very proud of, I think it's time to actually start uh, spreading our wings and um, scaling up and really look into what is possible. Right. So tell me a little bit about the self-sustaining model. How... How has that worked in the in the past in terms of, of gathering the funds that you need to keep the schools running? So our school fee for the children, the monthly fee was uh, very reasonable that students could afford it, but that was enough okay. to run the schools. And I think the main contributing factor was that we own most of our buildings and our infrastructure, so we didn't have any lease or rents to pay. What we did okay. have to pay were running expenses like the bills, electricity bill or the teachers' uh, salaries. Also, most of our teachers came from all over the country. So we had to provide residence for them. So we owned okay. the residence space as well. And most of it's okay. thanks to the people who donated in the beginning from those cities, like the local tribal leaders. And sometimes the government who donated that land. Okay. So you were getting some some assistance from the government as well as through through just donations. And then... You said that the the schools themselves are fee based. Is that so? There's yes, tuition. Yeah, there's tuition fee, monthly okay. fee. Okay, and I mean, it sounds like these were run. Well, you had the benefit of owning owning the buildings, which is which is amazing. Um, but they're they're run pretty lean. Um, not d- didn't take a lot to to keep a school up and running and and um, functional. Uh, is is that correct, or is it, or or were you always bringing in other donations to help support? No, we didn't bring in donations. Sometimes, if okay. we did have donation, we used those to pay fee for those students who couldn't afford it, like orphans, for example. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we have had some great individual sponsors, like one individual sponsoring, for example, sometimes about a hundred orphan children. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that's been there, but it hasn't. Um, it's been it's been good, but I don't I wouldn't say that it has been the best. But we're okay. still very proud of like how we have managed, because right. we were very focused on operations, not so focused on raising funds. Understood. And so the the climate has changed a little bit. You need more more revenue to help keep these schools open and and expand your programs. Um, and then in twenty. I'm assuming 20 starting in 2020 you had to shut schools down so that that impacted that, the revenue um, that was yeah. coming in as well. Yeah, yeah, because you had no no tuition being paid and um etc. And also because kids were away from school for so long and there was no online schooling at that time because they mostly don't have devices at home. Yeah. So they have missed out on like a whole regular academic year so we need to make up for that too. So there's additional work to be done with the children. Right. So how, how much are you hoping to raise? What, what are, what are some of the targets that you're, that you're looking to reach? So in an ideal scenario, I requested the team to give me some numbers this week and we are looking at about 12, uh, $12 million in the next two to five years. Okay. Yeah, and that would help us upgrade our libraries, our computer labs, our science labs, our infrastructure where need be, to pay fee for additional or students who cannot afford it. And mm-hmm. also sometimes like, you know, uh, I think at the moment we are, um, we could use some funds to pay for teacher salaries as well. So it would contribute to all of that. And as you can imagine, most of our buildings are three decades old at least. Right. Yeah, so, so there's some infra- infrastructure uh, upgrades needed. Yeah. 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 And sometimes even okay. sports facilities, because sports is a key part of our um, program and education delivery as well. And still, I think uh, another thing that I would mention that these schools were started by my father and his colleagues who were working at the government at that time. So they okay. did have access to, um, to their own, um, because they would be in charge as a, of governing or running the city. In their mm-hmm. specific role at that time. So they did have access to a lot of resources which they utilized to the best to deliver to the communities in terms of education 
and they all came together. Right. It became a movement. But now my father, because he's retired from his government job, and a lot of co-founders have as well. So they have more time now to give to the organization, which is brilliant. That's okay. why I think we are more um, more focused and more energized to scale things up now. Okay. Because previously they were doing it along with their regular government jobs. Now they're fully right. into it. Right. So I'm assuming that they have a pretty strong network of, of uh, connections that they could lean on for for uh, assistance and for spreading the word? Yes, yes. Is that accurate? Yes, okay. we do. What we do lack is a strategy or a system. Okay. Okay. Well, that is something that can be created. So I'm excited to, to talk through some opportunities and some ideas for you. Um, so what what's the typical year... I'm, I'm trying to uh, understand the gap that you currently have. So <clears throat> if you're looking for 12 million over the next two to five years, so that's between six and 1.5 million a year, I guess, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where are you, where your current revenue sit? Where, where do you, what's your baseline? Uh, this may not sound like zero really good, or <laughs> yeah, I think we will start with zero. Okay, cool. Given where we are, yeah. Gotcha. So we need to figure out how to raise twelve million over the next five years. Yes, because whatever is coming in in terms of donation is already being utilized somewhere. Okay. It's like there's nothing okay. sitting in the bank account that we are thinking what to do with it. Okay, great. So we basically we just need to to get from where we are now to. Um, to 12 million. So in terms of, of those communities, are there opportunities to, to tap into, um, existing relationships, existing, um, you know, people who have either maybe come up through the school system in the past, um, essentially the lowest hanging fruit for most organizations, um, lies in the ways to engage and activate um, existing um, relationships. Um, so instead of going out and saying, okay, well, how do we get, you know, however many people uh, excited about this to start, the the strategy here, or the tactic here is to um, try to re-engage those people who are already um, familiar with and fans of your organization. Um, so that would probably be where where I would recommend starting mm-hmm. and leveraging the the thrust and the momentum that you gain from that to really escalate um, engagement over the next, say, three to five years. So if we could get um, some good solid wins in the first couple of years and basically say, you know, we raised, uh, you know, a million dollars in, in 2022, and then you can turn that into $2 million in 20, uh, 2023. Um, and then exponentially increase that just because you now have, um, the ability to talk about those wins and, and share those with, um, with an ever growing, uh, number of people who become familiar with your organization. Um, so I would say the first place to go is to is is in that reengagement and coming up with a plan um, to leverage your father's connections as well as all of the people who helped found the organization over the last thirty years um, to uh, try and motivate their their friends, their family, their connections um, to start gathering. Um, funds so to to start soliciting donations as well as start soliciting networking opportunities to spread that word um do you believe that that that's a a a component that that we could tap into for for your organization to kind of get things get the ball rolling i think that's a great idea and now that you're saying it i remember that um for the 25-year anniversary, we actually had a huge reception and we invited mm-hmm. people who had contributed to Talim Foundation's journey in the past years. So that was a great event and bringing people back together. It included okay. Illumini, it included founders, included people who had supported in whatever way. And that that actually gave a lot of momentum to us in the coming 
years after that. So probably Great. kicking off our fundraising campaign with a reception like that, because we are very close to 35 years. Yeah, I would say going back to that, to that well, so to speak, um, and reinvigorating those people, getting them back re-engaged. Um, I'm assuming you have kind of a mailing list or a, a you know, an attendee list that you yeah. could leverage from that. Um, so ideally this starts, um, so this can be kind of, um, for some people trying to raise funds is a little bit uncomfortable. Um, asking for money, asking for people to help becomes this source of, of, um, fear, um, anxiety. Um, you know, they, people don't like hearing no. Mm -hmm. And so the way that I would kind of create an opportunity around that would be to, to kind of figure out who the friendliest of, of that group is <laughs> okay. and reach out to those, those people first. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of gain some, um, confidence. You can work on your, work on your story. Um, I don't like to say pitch because I don't think anyone really likes to be pitched, but how can we, how can we rekindle these relationships? How can we get people to be excited about, um, you know, about the last 10 years since the last time they engaged as well as, you know, what's up, what's coming up and want to be a part of that. And so if, if we can be strategic about the people that we're reaching out to and really think about these as opportunities to have conversations, as opposed to having an end goal in mind, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're really just trying to reinvigorate um, old connections and, and see where that takes us. Um, and so I would, you know, I would put that list in a database and see where, um, among the, your, your father and the rest of the, of the crew there, where the strongest connections lie within, within that list and, and start those conversations there. The other thing that, that can happen there is you can enlist other people's help. So it may be that, um, some of the people that you reach out to either, I mean, maybe they are able to contribute, but they also may be able to contribute their, um, their time and their, um, ability to reach out to other people on that list or even expand that list. And so it's really all about starting the restarting those conversations and getting, um, getting some activity there. Um, as you do that, you'll get better at it as well as, um, you also will will get some people really excited to help add add names to that list. So, Stu, uh, if we do that, for example, I'm just thinking because most of our network is related to nonprofit and the government, and we in our um, so earlier this year when we had our board meeting and our update, we strongly felt that we need to start reaching out to the corporate sector. And okay. also get in touch with the, like, you know, their big telecom and big industrial companies where they have big um, social responsibility funds, CSRs. Yes. So that's yep. one thing to tap into, not just individuals. So if we did, Absolutely. for example, an event like this or something, how can we utilize this to bridge that gap as well? So Identify there are a number the ways, right people yeah. and bring them on board yeah. as well. Yeah. So there are a number of ways to um, engage with kind of corporate partners or sponsors. Um, if you're planning to have an event, it could be a pure kind of sponsorship opportunity where you're, you're providing um, some CSR, you're providing some um, visibility um, and, and just giving people, you know, the opportunity to um, exp to share in, <clears throat> in that gala and get their, their company's name out in front of, of, uh, of other people who might be interested in what they're doing. So like you said, telecom, um, you know, essentially you're bringing together a bunch of people from, you know, probably from the government, probably from, um, you know, entrepreneurs or, yeah, sure. or business leaders, mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, and so if you had a major telecom sponsor, um, I, I like having partners more than sponsors if possible, but, um, 
Well, a sponsor is is kind of a one-way street. It's like you are providing a platform for um, for um, I, I'm not familiar with the telecoms in, in Pakistan, but let's just say one, there's one called Pakistan Tele, Telecom, right? right? And they are just looking for exposure. So they essentially come in and they and you say, okay, if you give us this much uh, of a of a donation, we will provide you with this much much exposure during the the event. You can create different tiers of of uh, sponsorship. So, for example, you might have one or two. Um, you know, key sponsors, they get a lot of exposure during the event. They may have a, a speaking opportunity, um, you know, not to, again, pitch, but to just get up in front of, mm-hmm. of the crowd and talk. Um, they would probably have their logo everywhere. Um, they may have the ability to buy a certain number of tables or seats at the event. Um, you know, you can basically put together these sponsorship packages, a a lower tier sponsor would have, um, you know, a smaller logo. They may not be mentioned in the program or they might have a smaller mention in the program. Um, they, you know, they might have fewer seats that they can, they can give to their friends and family and, and coworkers, et cetera. Um, but you know, essentially you, you would, it's a one-way street with a sponsorship with a partnership. Um, or at least the way that I like to think of, of partnerships is there is some kind of synergy. There's a, there's a, 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 an aligned mission in some capacity where in, with a partnership, you are promoting those people on your site, calling them out as, as partners and supporters. And they're equally, interested in talking about your organization on their site. So <clears throat> it's not just an advertisement. It's not just an, you know, an, an opportunity to get one's name out there, but it really can be something where there's a, a mission alignment. So for example, we'll just continue to use the telecom as, as an example in a partnership opportunity. Let's say the telecom has, a um, you know, a corporate social responsibility component to their business where they are really, really engaged in, um, in education because they, um, you know, they know that they need, uh, educated people coming up and working, working with them in their organization. And so they are very active in supporting education in some capacity, um, within their organization. So as a, partner with, with your organization, um, they would then be as excited to talk about your organization and all the good work that you're doing and that they're helping you accomplish on their site or, and in their social media, et cetera, as you are in, in your own. Um, and so it becomes kind of a two way street. I think partnership sounds amazing. But I do have a question that, for example, we identified one specific, uh, let's say, a telecom partner, potential partner. Mm -hmm. We see that according to the research that we do on their website or something, that there's mission alignment, we reach out to them. So how do you really form that partnership before the event, for example? So before the event, essentially you, well, the first thing I would do is see if anyone in your network uh, of of current or, or, um, former board members, uh, knows anyone within that organization that might be in charge of CSR. And really, again, uh, think about that relationship. Um, and then I would approach them from the perspective of, of how well these missions align and, and all the work that you're doing that is, that is, is really, like I said, very aligned with what they are doing um, in terms of their uh, in terms of their CSR. Do we need to prepare any artifacts that we might present in these meetings, or these are just friendly meetings? Well, I think we do have a great website as, if that counts. Yeah, yeah, no, that certainly counts. I think having supporting materials at this stage of the game is. M- is more important than necessarily having a fancy pitch deck or leave behind or, or something of, of that nature. It, those things tend to be helpful, um, from a reinforcement and validation standpoint. Certainly they, they do give the opportunity to tell your story a little bit more, but I would say in order to, um, you know, to start the conversation, I would, I would say, you know, leaning back on relationships and just trying to build, 
to build kind of these these personal relationships is where I would start. You know, one of the things that marketing is is fantastic. I love marketing. I've been doing it for years and years and years. A lot of times we get a little too caught up in the in the tactics of of marketing and lose track of the of the bigger picture strategy. Um, ultimately, marketing is really just about relationship building and whatever you need to help build that relationship and help help solidify um, you know those good interpersonal f- vibes that occur when two people come together and 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 have a shared mission or have a shared interest. Um, if there are things that you can that you can use to help reinforce those. I think, I think that's great. But if we are really starting from this perspective of there are already, you know, some relationships built that we can leverage, then I would say that, that, you know, building out collateral and, and pitch decks and leave behinds and all of that stuff that comes into play with sales um, is a little less necessary at the start. It may be something that becomes more and more helpful the farther away from a one-to-one kind of conversation or connection that you're having. Um, So if you think about LinkedIn, for example, um, on LinkedIn, you know, there's there's first, second, third degree, um, uh, relationships on on that platform, and so if you're talking to someone from a f- first degree relationship, so someone that you actually kind of know, um, it probably would be weird to to run them through a, a PowerPoint or a pitch deck or or you know give them some sort of a flyer after you've had your conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, versus if you're talking with someone who's a third degree uh, kind of connection, you know, they may need some of that stuff to reinforce the, uh, validity of the story that you're, that you're telling them. This sounds great. Uh, I think I'm kind of forming my line of thoughts. Just let's say we have, um, done that pre-work tapped into our relationships and second degree connections got invited the right people who are taking Mm -hmm. the ownership of being in the event and feel proud of being part of this journey. So what happens after we have done this, um, like, you know, we have reinitiated a journey and gotten them on board. How do we keep that engagement and momentum in the months to come? Yeah, that's great. I mean, that again is in this, in, still in this kind of inspire phase of, of the relationship or of that stakeholder journey. Um, and it's, it's really a matter of, I think authenticity as well as consistency. So as you've developed those relationships and, and let's say, let's say you have somebody who you know is very well aligned, but they haven't necessarily taken the, the next step to become a donor. Um, just staying in touch with them, just staying in front of in front of them, um, reaching out with with valuable information, um, things that you think they might be interested in, and coming at that from a perspective that you're just again you're all you're doing is trying to build a relationship. So for example, um, the difference between me reaching back out to you in a, in a few weeks and, and asking you how things are going or sharing with you an article that I read about new, new tricks or new, uh, techniques in, uh, in donor engagement. Um, you know, that comes from a, from a, perspective of authenticity, as well as just wanting to be a valued resource for you, as opposed to me trying to sell you something. In comparison, if in a couple of weeks I reached out and, and, you know, tried to pitch you on a new website or SEO or something like that, it would feel like a pitch. It would feel like I was trying to sell you something that I had a, a, an end goal kind of in mind. Um, and so I, I think authenticity is, is kind of the, the best piece to lean into when we're, when, when we're building these types of relationships. So what I'm hearing is that it's no, no different than building a business, basically. Because even on LinkedIn, what we do is where I mostly generate my business. It's just building mm-hmm. authentic relationships openly and just being open yeah. to where that takes you. Yeah, I think that if you are on, I mean, we've all experienced this and we can use LinkedIn as, as the example, but we've all, all experienced the person who reaches out and seems genuine, mm-hmm. uh, maybe, or, or inquisitive or some, somewhat aligned and they ask to, to connect. And then we connect with them and, and five minutes later we get, you know, what is pretty evidently a, a pre-canned 
pitch of some sort. And it may be, you know, it, it may be kind of based in value, but it just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel authentic. Yeah. yeah. And so um, a different way to handle that would be to, you know, to just genuinely thank somebody. If you want to reach out immediately, which I don't think is a bad idea, but just thank them for connecting and, um, you know, and then let it, let it sit there instead of, instead of always trying to sell somebody something. Um, and so it's very similar. I mean, nonprofits are, are businesses just like other businesses. They, they may be a nonprofit business, but they, you know, they aren't in fact a business. They have a lot of the same challenges. They have different, some different ones than uh, for-profit businesses, but, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, they have operations, they have, um, human resources challenges. They have revenue challenges. They have, um, you know, marketing challenges. <laughs> so it's all really kind of the same stuff with a, with a little bit of a different spin on it. Um, and so I think that creating a plan that has authentic outreach as part of the cadence on that is, is certainly something that, uh, that, that many nonprofits, including yours could take advantage of in terms of, of that ongoing outreach, um, follow up with somebody immediately after the event, ask them what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it. Um, what, what, what could have been done better where, uh, you know, what they, what got them excited. Um, and if you're actually genuinely reaching out for feedback and for an engaged conversation, um, you know, not only do those people feel heard, but they also feel more connected and are, and are vastly more willing to, um, you know, come back and, and, and say, well, what, you know, what else can I do to help you? That sounds good. I have one more question. That is that, uh, so we have a head office in the capital city in Islamabad where, from where we run the operations, uh, but we don't have a dedicated fundraising uh, team member. So mm-hmm. do you think to be very organized and targeted so that because I'm seeing that this would be a lot of follow up and somebody who's who's authentic and has that kind of right energy to engage and build relationships. Mm-hmm. So would you advise that we have a dedicated um, fundraising person? And if yes, what kind of qualities should we look for once we look to hire somebody? Wow, those are great questions. I think I would approach it to start from who, where, where are those, what are those relationships that feel the most natural for your existing, uh, group of people who are, who are going to be doing this work Mm. and start there and, and leverage those kind of, it's like what I was talking about earlier in terms of those comfortable conversations, see how many of those we can have and, and how those are working. Um, and allow those to, with you know, the idea here is that those then create some initial thrust as well as some practice. So you refine, refine your story, and then it also potentially and hopefully starts to build a revenue stream. So as as you're having those you know those easy conversations, you're getting some revenue coming in. That revenue would then help to, uh, fund a position within your organization who would be, um, potentially supporting, um, additional conversations still being had by kind of the, the high level, um, individuals, but also be able to start weaving in some, um, more, um, organic or, um, you know, less familiar conversations into the, into the mix. And, um, and I think that the type of person that would be great for that job is someone who is, um, you know, open, gregarious, um, interested in learning. Um, I would say some of the other qualities would be, I'll use thick skinned. That sounds a little, a, a little disingenuous, but I think, yeah. you know, somebody who, who isn't going to be, um, you know, they're going to be able to take take some no's and, and understand that, that no is, is perfectly okay. Um, you know, just making sure that you follow up with, if some, if you get a no, uh, ask, well, who else, who else should I be talking with? Um, you know, a no is a, a perfectly fine conversation to have. In fact, um, you know, it's the second best answer you can get from yes, because, um, you, you then don't 
end up chasing people who, um, you know, who, who aren't, aren't going to be able to assist your, your organization, but you can take a no and turn it into, um, you know, something more interesting. If somebody's just not able to give right now, there may be other, other ways that they can help. Like how, how can they help? How can you help them share your story more broadly because they have their own network that they could reach out to. And most of the partnerships are not always money-based because we had a, uh, for a few years, we enjoyed a great partnership with IBM and they, they delivered teachers training for us. So their trainer actually traveled to all the schools and trained our teachers on their teaching skills. Yeah, that is fantastic. I think that, um, yeah, partnerships don't always have to be uh, a monetary transaction uh, a a good partnership can be somebody who is incredibly well connected and was and is willing to share share those connections with you um one of the examples that i've i've used in the past is here um in the states there is an organization called tapcat and they run uh, sweepstakes for nonprofits so essentially they come up with a prize so that could be you know, a car or a, a trip or something of that nature. Um, the nonprofit then uh, publicizes this opportunity and then all of the funds that come in um, for the sweepstakes. So people buy, essentially buying, uh, you know, tickets or opportunities to win the prize, those become donations for the organization. Oh, okay. And one of the and, and there's a there are a bunch of legal things around that here in the states. I'm not sure uh, what what an equivalent system would be in in Pakistan. So you would want to, uh, or or in in Australia for that matter, you'd want to check your local regulations on on uh, on this before you just rush out and, and and implement this plan. But one of the things that becomes really beneficial is leveraging a partner that has an aligned mission. So an example would be um, there is a, an organization who is a, uh, they do avalanche control or avalanche research um, here in the States. And they are are uh, sweep, doing a sweepstakes to win uh, a snowmobile, which is uh, something that a lot of people who like to participate in, in, uh, winter sports go out and they get into avalanche territory. And so there's a aligned, uh, aligned prize there. Um, but what they can do is partner with one of their, um, you know, either one of their sponsors or, or somebody that they could partner with who ha- has a list of people, um, who participate in snow sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that partner then, is able to publicize the sweepstakes to their large audience. Um, they may not even necessarily have to, um, you know, donate anything or, um, or be on board, but you're leveraging the asset that that partner brings to the table, which is a, a large audience. So, um, you know, that, that's one way to kind of leverage the power of a, of a non, um, you know, financial transactional relationship to, uh, to help further your cause. Yeah, Stu, thank you. I think these are great insights, and I already can see a plan in my head. Based oh, that's fantastic. On discussion yeah. Because I think we have discussed like a whole approach. Like the well, it's certainly, it's certainly the first start of it. Um, I think that, that, you know, we've talked mostly in this inspire phase. So, you know, leveraging past engagements, mm-hmm. leveraging past relationships, um, you know, certainly in the attract bond and connect phase, that's where you're, you're able to go out and create materials that talk about the problem that you're helping to solve mm-hmm. that, that kind of put people into the position of, um, you know, they're going to donate to help, uh, help eradicate this problem or help make it better. Um, and, um, and so telling that story effectively on your website and on social media, um, that certainly starts to come into the awareness phase. So where, where people are, you know, they, they may just, they may have heard something about, um, you know, particularly, uh, you know, education of, of girls in, uh, in Afghanistan or Pakistan, um, they may have heard that there are some challenges there and they want to get involved. And so they do a search for, 
um, you know, for something that brings up your site. Um, you know, that's a way to start educating those people. Mm-hmm. Again, trying to not necessarily jump to the, you know, give me some money, but you know, here's, here's an answer to that question that you had. It's a real problem. Here are the, here's some of the, the ways that we are combating that problem. Here's some of the challenges we're facing in, uh, in combating that problem. And here's some ways that you can support us. And so essentially you're taking them through that, uh, you know, that attract bond and connect phase, um, to transition them from, um, you know, someone who's just interested in a topic to somebody who's willing to support you in, in that topic. Yeah. I'll share something fun here. So last year during COVID times, my, uh, I worked with my dad. We've started writing his story of how the foundation started. So more from a point of view of celebrating the land and its people, not just the the foundation and my father's story, but more about celebrating that land because not much is known about that part of Pakistan or, you know. Mm -hmm. So we have almost the first draft ready. Okay. Yeah. So... Yeah. So bringing that book into the world would be, I think, a great step forward as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Books are a really great way to uh, get people engaged. And one of the funny but sad things about about a book is a lot of times people don't even read the book. They got all they needed out of just buying the book or even just knowing that the book existed. Um, Because it does bring a certain sense of it validates the message. So if you're, you know, if your father is out there uh, talking and is able to say, you know, I wrote a book about this and blah, blah, blah. People are like, oh, wow, he really must know what he's talking about. Um, you know, without even necessarily having to buy the book, um, they can, they can get engaged. Now, you know, turning that, turning book sales into, into revenue is also uh, incredibly great opportunity. Um, you know, typically when people have written a book, they have an opportunity to go on speaking tours as well. So, you know, those are some other ways to, um, to kind of supercharge what's going on around that book. But I, I think, I think that would be a great thing to add to the, to the mix at, at the fundraiser is either, um, you know, giving away copies of the book to people who, who come to the event or, um, you know, creating those as, as maybe prize opportunities. So people feel like they've, they've won something. Um, you know, those might be some good ways to leverage that material for sure. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds really good. Because yeah, this is a story of like real resilience and heroism, not just fiction. We have, we face so much opposition. Like we had life threats when we were children. Like it's not even a joke. Right. There was one year that each, like we are three siblings, and each one of us, there was an armed guard with us sitting next to us in class all the time. Wow. So I cannot imagine. Story. <laughs> so my I father is my imagine. hero. You can see for all the for all the reason why. And, yeah. Uh, and I had no choice but to be who I am because I'm his daughter. It's as simple as that. Right. Well, I mean, you're doing amazing things, and your father's doing amazing things. You're following in his footsteps. I would be telling those stories for sure on, on LinkedIn. I mean, something I've been experiencing there recently is, um, the more authentic I am, the more of, of those kind of heartfelt non-business type stories that I tell on LinkedIn, the more engagement I get. Um, and I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it for engagement. I'm doing it to try and inspire people to understand that, that, um, you know, that there, that there are other people out there who, need our help or ways to, um, open themselves up to be, uh, more open to potential experiences or, um, uh, you know, to be able to give back more in the, in the world. Um, but as I've become a lot more kind of authentic about that and, and not, not necessarily hiding behind things that are challenges, you know, sharing those stories is, I'm, I'm experiencing that as incredibly, um, accepted and, um, and engaging and people, people seem to like it. So, you know, I would say telling those stories on LinkedIn is going to help spread that word. It's going to help get people engaged. Um, it's, you know, potentially going to sell some books, potentially going to, um, raise awareness, uh, around 
what you're doing on top of, uh, your coaching, uh, your, your leadership coaching practice. Um, you know, these are all things that feed into who you are and, and, and the value that you bring to the world. And, um, and so, you know, sharing all of that is, I think, really important. Thank you for encouraging me to do that because honestly, I haven't like, you know, I've never spoken around that part of childhood or where it all comes from. So well, I, I mean, that is that definitely, just didn't come yeah. Up. yeah. Yeah. Well, it's definitely not the experience that, uh, that most Westerners have, have had. Um, and I, I would count myself as very lucky that I didn't have to, to have, have armed guards go, go with me to school. Um, but I can't complain. But, we had a beautiful childhood, like total yeah. wilderness, countryside, no screens, playing outdoors all the time. Right. And we had name an animal and we had it at home. <laughs> so my parents were so big on having outdoor pets. Right. From peacocks to monkeys to ducks and rabbits. I mean, those are, those are amazing stories. It's a totally different perspective than, than most most people on LinkedIn probably have experienced and those who, who have a shared experience, they'll connect with you as, as well. Um, you know, and a lot of those people may be able to help the organization. Um, a lot of those people may, um, I mean, they may just be able to, to, to spread the word, which is, which is going to help the organization. So I think that there are, um, there are a lot of benefits to, to, to sharing that kind of stuff out there. Yeah. No, you've really opened up my, you've really broadened my vision, I would say. Like probably I was thinking small and you've really opened me up to possibilities. And it seems so exciting because it's authentic. There's no pretending to be. And yeah, just like going in flow is an easy way to go. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun, right? When, when you're fun, yeah. when you're just able to be, uh, and you don't, you're not having to think about what to do. You just, you just are. Um, I, I think that that's a really fun, fun way to live, and uh, and be able to to share, um, share benefit with with a, a wide audience. Um, you know, people who who are like-minded or have similar experiences all the way to people who maybe have doubts. I, I think that if we, if we start with that authenticity piece and start with the idea yes. that all we're really trying to do is build, build a relationship and, and, uh, and connect with other people that, you know, that's the first step to, to really anything getting done. Sounds great. And I think probably I'll report back to you in a year's time, how far we've gotten. Yeah. Well, I would love to know when are you planning to hold your uh, your event or your gala? You said you're in you're coming up on your 35th year. Uh, yes, I would like to be there in Pakistan, and I I just went okay. back in November last year, so maybe like okay. you know we'll speak and talk about it maybe later in the year or early next year, but we wouldn't wait okay. for the event to have these um, to have these activated started because I think we'll start right yeah. away start building the partnerships, not wait for the event. But event would I I would six yeah. to eight months yeah, at would. least down the down the year. Yeah, I would I would target a few um, people that you think would be good to talk with, either because they would be good partners, or because they might be potential donors, or because they are sympathetic to what you're what you're trying to do, and um, and then have the right people in your organization reach out to those those people and just kind of get those conversations started and and just see. Um, you know, where they see challenges being not being met or where they, um, where they would like to see your organization go. Um, you know, it, it, it just gives you the ability to, uh, to connect and, and that's the first step. Yep. This sounds amazing. And I think awesome. when we have the event, I would love my children to be there. So my son has just turned 10. Okay. So, you know, it's like, I think it's intergenerational because they're watching how we are showing up, what we are doing. They follow my yeah. father's story. They follow what I do. So, yeah, I just, yeah, it's important. I think. <laughs> I think so too. I mean, we all have this opportunity to, to make a difference for the, the generation that's coming up. And, and it sounds to me like your, your father took some pretty big steps to, uh, to help with that, you're like I said, you you're following in his footsteps, and you are 
um, you know, you're taking, taking that up and, and continuing that tradition and, you know, your, your children are, are going to see that and, and be able to, to really have a, a completely different, uh, relationship with, with growing up in, uh, in, and getting educated in, in, uh, in the world, not just, not just Pakistan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really have had a really fun time talking with you. I'm fascinated to learn more about what you're doing and see how some of these things land. Um, if, uh, if people want to find out more about you or your organization, what, what's the best way for them to, to learn more about you? Um, I mean, I'm very open to connecting on LinkedIn and building a relationship from there. Otherwise, uh, we can share links to my personal website and to the Talim Foundation's website. Okay. That sounds fantastic. I would love to do that. I'll, I'll gather those from you after our call and I'll share them in the show notes. Thank you. Um, yeah. So. Thank you so much. Two, for your two questions. Yeah. My pleasure. Two, two questions before we, before we, uh, end our, our conversation today. The first one is what, what are, what do you think your takeaways from our conversation were? What were, what were some of the biggest things that you think would be good for you to, uh, to engage with? I think my biggest lesson is that I don't need a to-do list. We need a to-be list, which feels not overwhelming at all. So that's the first thing. You have replaced overwhelm with excitement. Second thing is that it's easier to start than I thought. Uh, diving into existing relationships, reigniting that. And so yes. what was the second part of your question? Um, well, the second part of my question is about action. I love having conversations. I love talking about things. However, I really want people to take action and be inspired by these conversations that we're having. And so if there was one thing that you would want our audience to to do or take away f- after uh, after listening to our conversation and, and go out and, and and take some action on what what would that be? I would say take inspired action. Like in the moment, I feel inspired that we should do that event, and you reconnected me with what we did about ten years ago, and I could see what we achieved after that. So thank you for reminding me. So I feel inspired that that's the way to go, and that gives me a whole new direction. So I love inspired, it. disciplined action probably. Because I really I believe it. in consistent small steps every day instead of those big things which drown you. I think that's fantastic, a fantastic takeaway. And I I really did have a great time talking with you today and I'm really looking forward to hearing what's next for you, Sylvia. Thank you, Steve. Thank, Thank you for you so being much. on the show. Thank you for your guidance. My pleasure. Talk to you soon. And there you have it, another great episode of Relish This. Thanks again for listening. You can find past episodes of the show at relishthis.org. And remember, if you liked what you heard today, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on purpose marketing, grab your free copy of my book, Mission Uncomfortable, How Nonprofits Can Embrace Purpose-Driven Marketing to Survive and Thrive. Get your copy now at missionuncomfortablebook.com. Thanks again for listening. Come back next week, won't you?